This morning we begin a new series of messages about our faith, about our belief. I'm guessing most of us who are here today believe in God in some way. Um, we're maybe still figuring some things out. That's perfectly normal, uh, perfectly welcome. Uh, but I think we wouldn't be here unless we're seeking after uh, God in some way. But just what do we believe? <laughs> How strong is that belief? Is our belief in God as strong as we would like it to be? Uh, so for the next seven weeks, we're going to be looking into the dynamics of our faith. If you uh, happen to grab a bulletin today, you'll see listed on the front of that what the different topics are going to be over these seven weeks. And you can see some things that we're going to be talking about. Of course, doubts today, but also uh, worry. Anybody ever worry around here? Anybody fearful of different things? Uh, is there something in your past that you regret? And you just keep beating yourself up about that. Are there issues that you have with church? Maybe it's really hard for you to even come to church today because you really don't like church. You don't like the people at church. Um, maybe there's some questions you have for God. And one of the struggles you have is God just doesn't seem to be fair about things. doesn't seem to be much justice in things. And why does he say this, but he allows that? Um, and, and maybe even your own witness for Jesus. You know, I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian a long time, but I've never talked to anybody about Jesus. Why is that? What, what does that say, you know, about your faith and maybe some area that you need to grow in? And what about prayer? Are you praying the way you think you should? So we want to be looking into these things, and I hope you'll be along for all of that because uh, so many things that, that each of us could grow in our faith, develop our faith when we, we discuss these things. Let's pray together as we begin. Father, I thank you that you would uh, just open our, our hearts. We, we realize our need for you. We realize that um, there's so much that is wrong, so much that we have done that is wrong, so much that we thought that is wrong, and we want to be admonished. We want to be corrected today. We want uh, to learn. Uh, we want to understand. And as you have revealed yourself and your will through the word, uh, through your spirit, we pray that you would help us today to continue learning and growing. But it would make a difference not only in knowledge, but in our actions, in our lives. That's what we seek, Lord, is the change that you can bring to us as our faith grows, as it matures. Bless us, we pray, in this study, uh, that it would, would be a life-changing study for, for really all of us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you may have not heard of it before, I had not, uh, but there's a river up near the Niagara Falls uh, and the Niagara River that's called the Wellington River. And it feeds into the Niagara River, which, of course, is the river that leads to these mighty, dangerous waterfalls of Niagara. Many people have lost their lives going over Niagara Falls. Uh, I researched this. Uh, somewhere over 5,000 people have died going over the falls, uh, and they lost count. They, they say even today, about 40 people go over those falls every year. And uh, many of those are suicides. They intended to do that. But a few of them every year are people that never intended for that to happen. They got caught in some, some uh, bad circumstance. And at the place where the Wellington River feeds into the Niagara River, there's a sign posted. 
you're boating along and you're on the Wellington River and you're about ready to go into Niagara, this sign says this. Do you have an anchor? And do you know how to use it? <laughs> uh, because if you don't, you're heading for serious danger. Heading for serious danger. Uh, you wouldn't want to be on that river without an anchor. I don't think I even want to be on the river at all. I've been there. I've seen the Niagara River going down towards the falls, and you see this great hole out there as you're driving down the road. And you think, my goodness, what it would feel like to be floating on that river out of control faced with the aspect of these falls. If you go down to the bottom of the falls and you see how horrifying that is, the thunderous water coming down, you imagine what it would be like if anybody ever went over the edge of that falls. Danger doesn't just happen to us physically, does it? It happens to many, many people spiritually. And that's what we're talking about in this series about our faith. It's important to have an anchor to keep you from falling. And faith is the rope that keeps us tied firmly to Jesus, the anchor of our souls. Our main text for this morning is in Mark chapter 9. We're going to be actually looking at three passages. But let's begin with Mark chapter 9. If you have a Bible, turn there. If you need to get one of the Bibles in the seat there around the table, please do that. Follow along. In Mark 9, we read that Jesus had taken his three closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, up onto a mountain where they saw him transfigured. It is, they saw him in his glory, the glory he had before he came to earth, when he was living in heaven, when he was you know, king of kings and lord of lords there. The glory that he has in that state, they saw for a few minutes there. And then they came back down the mountain. And when they did, the four of them noticed that there was uh, this group of other disciples, the other nine disciples, were embroiled in this discussion with people. They didn't know what it was about. Well, Jesus did, but the others didn't know. What's going on here? Why are they all upset? And what had happened was that a, a man had a son who was demon-possessed. This little boy, young young boy, was... Uh, you know, just in, in terrible straits with this demon. It was throwing him down. It was throwing him into the fire. It was throwing him into the water so he would drown, trying to just kill the boy. And the father and mother are distraught. And they hear that Jesus is healing people. And so the father has traveled some distance with his son, all of his problems, with all of his baggage, to see if they could somehow get healing for his son. And when they get there, Jesus is gone. He's up on the mountain with the other three disciples. And so the nine that are there try to do something they can't, and they can't figure out why they can't help. Uh, and, and yet this is the situation. So let's pick it up in chapter 9, starting down in verse 14. When they came to the other disciples. They saw a large, large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. And as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. And the man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth. He becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. And so they brought him. And when the Spirit saw Jesus, immediately threw the boy into convulsion. He fell to the ground. He rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. 
If you can, <laughs> said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. Notice the man said to Jesus, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Notice he includes himself because parents are distraught. This boy and what's going on in his life. They both need Jesus' help. And Jesus said, if I can, you know, what, what a question. If you can, you came here because I can. You came here because of what you heard. All things are possible to him who believes. To which the man replied, as we might. I do believe. Help me with my unbelief. Thankfully, Jesus had the power to heal that boy completely. And that is the same thing then that we might find ourselves saying to Jesus today. I do believe. But I know there's some unbelief still in me. There's this doubt. There's this nagging question in my life. Help me in my unbelief. And so I ask you this morning, just to kind of evaluate yourself, how strong is your faith right now? This moment, today. January 29th, 2017. If you placed your faith on a scale between 1 to 5, where would you put yourself? 1 is barely hanging on faith. And 5 is solid as a rock faith. 1 to 5, where would you put yourself? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Now, don't anybody look around anybody else, but just hold up your hand. If you think you're a five, solid as a rock faith, hold up your hand. Oh, too many hands went up. Number four. Yeah, starting to get there, okay. Number three. Number three's out here? Yeah, you kind of, yeah it's pretty solid, but eh, all the way. Twos. Ones. It, it may be tough to just admit where you are, but I want you to think about that. How solid, how strong is your faith right now? The I Believe in God series that we're beginning starts with faith and doubt because all of us have wrestled with this doubt. Some of us are wrestling daily with this doubt. So faith and doubt are the first important subjects we want to talk about. What is faith, after all? Well, faith is trust. Faith is just putting our trust in someone or something. That's a real simple definition. Faith is trust. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Christian faith, faith in Christ, is putting your faith in someone you have not seen with your eyes, but you know. You know he's there. You know that he's real. You know that... He is worthy of that trust. Faith is confidence in this verse. Faith is assurance. So I want you to hold on to these two words this morning. Confidence and assurance, because we're going to keep coming back to that. In whom or what is our confidence? In whom or what is our assurance? Is your faith in a religion? Is your faith in a, a philosophy? 
Or is it in a person? I would encourage you to put your faith in a person, not in a religion or a philosophy. There's a big difference in the two. One is just faith in a system that you think in your head is the right one. This is the best system going. It beats all the others in the world. The other one is in your head and your heart as well because now there's something personal here. There's a personal trust in a person who is absolutely worthy of our trust. He is true to his word. He is true to what he says he will do. He is true to his promises. He is true to the love and grace that he's put out there for us. And so this faith isn't just in our head, it's in our hearts as well. And maybe that is a beginning point for you this morning. Maybe you just need to move your faith from your head to your heart. It should be in your head. It should be something that you've thought about, something that you've made a decision about, but there is a heart also involved, and that is a a decision. It's a very weighty decision. Who am I going to trust to lead my life? Or what is doubt? Generally, doubt means to be of two minds. Got both things going on of wavering or hesitating, to be suspended between two alternatives that you've, you've seen. Doubt is not denial. You haven't really decided. It just means you're wavering between yes and no. Doubt has not yet reached a conclusion. In a word, doubt is uncertainty. You're kind of stuck. Which way should I go? Several words in the Bible um, communicate the idea of doubt. In some cases, the person doubting is perplexed or confused. And, and so they look at the situation they didn't really understand. They're perplexed about it. In other cases, the person is actually divided in their mind, uncertain of what to do, and they can't decide which way to go. And often, the result is a lack of confidence. They don't have confidence to move on, and so they stop. They stagnate. Doubt can be good if it leads us to the truth. But the problem with doubt comes when we do not resolve our questions and we keep wavering indefinitely. We just get stuck there. James 1, 6 and 7 says this, He who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and unstable in all that he does. So if you have doubts today, let me ask you this. Do your doubts cause you to seek the truth? Good. Do they cause you to to think things through, to pray, to seek God, to read his word, and, and to understand more? Then doubt can have a very positive effect in your life. But if your doubts hold you captive in uncertainty and fear, then you need to deal with that. You need to get those doubts out of your life. And we're going to look at the second passage this morning, one that you're very familiar with. It's in the Gospel of Luke. And it's the very first chapter of Luke. And in Luke chapter 1, we see two characters among many. One is Zechariah. He is the father, becomes the father of John the Baptist. And Mary, who becomes the mother of Jesus, the Son of God. And I want us to look for just a minute here. We're not going to read this whole passage. It's a pretty lengthy thing. But we're going to look at a few passages. I want you to think about Zechariah and Mary here. Because I think they illustrate for us the difference between doubt and faith in in some ways. Mary uh, is approached by an angel, Gabriel. Zechariah is approached by the same angel. They have similar approaches, but different 
conversations. Let's go down to chapter 1 and start with verse 8. Luke 1, 8. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So he's a priest. He's going through rotation. He's his turn to go in. And when the time came for the burning of incense to, to came, all of the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you are to give him the name John. Now skip down to verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you the good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Okay, there's Zechariah. Hang on to that thought about him. Let's go down to Mary, verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Let's go one more, Tim. I'm sorry, that's all it's going to say right there. My mistake. This is the Lord speaking to Mary and saying, The Lord is with you. And Mary answers to the Lord. She says, after he tells her that she's going to have a child, a son named Jesus, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And Mary accepted that. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me, even as you have said. I want us to think through this. When the angel appeared to each of them, the angel's approach was the same. Just any angel. You just don't come on somebody without them freaking out. Because angels are glorious beings. Angels are powerful beings. And just the brilliance of their, of their, their appearance, you know, just people fall back. Every time in the scripture an angel appears, People fall down, kind of just startled and fearful. But notice the difference in how they react. In Luke 1, 12, Zechariah says, was startled and gripped with fear. He's, he's taken by the fear. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Isn't that very different? I mean, this is a startling, sudden revelation of this angel. Difference in how they approach that. In both cases, the angel had to say, do not be afraid, which is the normal first words out of the angel's mouth when they make their appearance. And then he told each of them why he was there. To Zechariah, he said, your wife, who has been barren for all these many years, is going to have a child. She's going to conceive. She's going to have a child from God. Then to Mary, as he's appearing to this young virgin in Nazareth, you're going to be with child and you're going to give birth to a son. The son of the Most High God. Pretty pretty big thing. Now let me pause right there. Which of them had the bigger pill to swallow? Zechariah or Mary? Mary, yeah. Because see, in Zechariah's case, yeah, it's, it just 
very improbable that his wife would ever become pregnant. I mean, they, they have had a child for their 40 or 50 years of marriage, however long it's been, and now all of a sudden she's going to have a child. But it is in the natural way that she's going to have this child. But Mary, who has never been with a man, is going to get pregnant in the most unnatural, the supernatural way by the Holy Spirit. She was a virgin, and she would still be a virgin even after she got pregnant with her baby Jesus. So why did Zechariah doubt and Mary believed? Well, the answer is in their responses. Uh, the angel Gabriel, look at verses 18 and 24. When Zechariah heard his wife Elizabeth would bear a son in old age, he responded, How can I be sure of this? After all, I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Now guys, here's a secret for you as a good husband. If you're talking about your wife's age and your age, you say, I'm an old man, but she's well along in years. <laughs> this guy's pretty tactful, I think, even though he's talking to an angel. Uh, but, but he recognizes, yeah, this, this, how can this be, he asks. But when Mary hears she's going to be with child, even though she is a virgin, she replies, how will this be since I am a virgin? Notice the different words, can and will. In one, we see the idea, the concept of doubting. How can this even be possible? And Mary, who has the same impossibility dealing with, and even more so, it's not how can, how will it happen. She is assuming, she is agreeing, it's going to happen. But how in the world will it happen? I want to know. And it's a very different attitude towards the angel's uh, announcement to each of them. And even though Mary has the bigger pill to swallow, she swallows it. And Zechariah chokes on it. It's the difference between faith and doubt illustrated in their lives. Now, both of them are faithful people. Both of them believed in God. Both of them are serving God. But one had an attitude where it led to doubt, and the other one had an attitude that led to greater faith. And I want you to see that. We all say that we have faith in God. We all say that we have faith in Jesus, God's Son. What kind of faith do we have? Is our faith conditional or is our faith confident? To think about that difference. Because sometimes our faith is, you know, God, if you do something nice for me today, then I'll keep believing in you. If you show yourself again, if you'll make this happen again, if I see another promise fulfilled, you got me. I'm here for you. It's conditional. And other people already know the heart of God. They know what God is about and what God wants to do in their life. And so when they approach things, even that are impossible, and God is expecting something of them that they're not sure they have the faith for, their attitude is, you got me. I'm with you because I know who you are. I know how you are. I know how you, you relate to me. And I trust you. You see the difference? I really want you to get that difference today. This is many times the difference between faith and doubt. Confident faith is confident in God's steadfast love for us. No matter what, you are confident that God is good, that God is love. And with confidence, you can rest assured in your faith and never be rattled. No matter what your circumstances are, you don't have to go around questioning anything and everything because you know God is watching out for you. And even though you have to go through some great difficulty, and maybe it's a life-ending difficulty, your trust is there because God 
will be with you. And as Steve said in Romans 8, 28, you know, good is going to come for those who are called according to God's purpose. Faith is never shattered when you have that kind of faith because your faith is in a faithful and true God, not just in a religion. You know God and you know his heart. The key to overcoming our doubts, deepening our faith, is to know the God in whom we place our faith. Let's look at one other verse. Matthew chapter 14. Matthew 14, very familiar story again. We have Jesus and his disciples. They're out on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, he sent the disciples on ahead. They're struggling because of the wind and waves are against them. And then he comes walking across the water. Remember this one? Immediately, this is chapter 14, verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It is a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And Peter got down out of the water, walked on the water, and talked, walked, came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Jesus came walking out on the water that night in the middle of that storm, and it terrified the disciples, all of them. It's a ghost. You know, we thought we had trouble before. Now we have this ghost walking by. Jesus immediately calmed their fears. He said, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. I want you to stop right there for a moment. How many times do we need to hear and remember what Jesus said to them in probably one of the most fearful, anxious moments of their life? Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Did you write that down? Because the next time you get into a situation like this, this is what you want to hear from God. Take courage, it is I, in other words, I'm here, it's me, don't be afraid. You know, whatever your circumstances may be, I know some of you are in, in really tough straits right now. Some of you are struggling to pay your bills. Some of you have an illness going on in your family that, that may even be life-threatening. You have trouble with your kids or maybe with your spouse. You may have all kinds of issues going on in your life. This is what you want to hear from Jesus right now. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. When Jesus said this and Peter said, Lord, if it is you, Again, if it is you, then tell me to come to you. And what what a, a step of faith. You know, he got out of the boat that he was putting his confidence in, and he walked on water. Nobody but Jesus has ever done this. And Peter does it, because there's enough faith to say, Lord, if it's you, I'm coming to you. I'm going to come and do this, too. Call me out there, and Jesus said, come. And he actually walked on the water until he took his eyes off Jesus and looked down at the wind, the wind and the waves. And all of a sudden, he started slipping. He started going under. 
And he cried out, and Jesus immediately grabbed his hand and lifted him to the surface again. And then together they got into the boat. And all of them bowed in worship and astonishment at Jesus. Just for a moment, Peter forgot about Jesus, the object of his trust. For a moment, he forgot about Jesus' abilities. For a moment, he forgot about Jesus' power. For a moment, he forgot about Jesus' love for him. And when he lost all of those thoughts, all of those emotions, then he sunk. But until then, he had the faith to walk on water himself. Hebrews 11.1 speaks about confidence and assurance. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for. Assurance of what we do not see. We began our new life with Jesus Christ. If we were Christian by faith, we said, you know, I can't do this. I messed up my life. I am sinful. I need a Savior. I am lost. And Jesus has proven His love for me. Jesus has shown, He's demonstrated that He's willing to die for me. That He's paid the penalty for my sin. And in faith, we ask Jesus then, to save us, to forgive us, to cleanse us. And he did. We were baptized into Christ. We repented. We changed where we were, the direction we were going. We started following Jesus. We did that all by faith. But has that faith continued to grow since then? Has it now shown itself as confidence and as assurance of things that we can't even see? The Bible says that we need to live by faith, not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5.7 We don't go by what we can see. You know, the world lives by this standard that says seeing is believing. Christians say, no, we live by faith, not what we can see. Do you remember Galatians 2.20? What does it say about our faith? It says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live in the body by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I, I really like that Paul put that in there. It's faith in Jesus because he's the guy who loved me. He's the one who gave himself for me. That's my mindset. That's my trust. This is the person that I know by faith. In Jude, a book that we don't go to, but Jude's right before Revelation, the book, end of the Bible. Jude says this, Dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said that in the last times there will be scoffers who follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you. Remember what doubt is? Dividing us. Who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. But you, do, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith, by praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in the love of God, in God's love. Keep yourself in this love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. So what is God saying to you today? I, I don't know, but I think you know. How strong is your faith and how strong would you like it to be? Are you tired down in your life at some sin that has hardened your heart? So God's having a hard time getting in and getting through. Have you been holding on to your doubts so that you can have uh, some convenient way to live the way you want to live? Oh, God doesn't really show himself. God hasn't proven himself to me, so I'm just going to keep on living the way I've been living. It becomes your excuse 
for doing what you want to do? Have you been holding on to those doubts? Have you thought that God is just out there to make your life miserable? The only reason he has rules is to make it hard on me so he can punish me. That is not the heart of God. And your faith will never grow and become stronger if you think that's what his heart's all about. But if you see a God, if you see a person worthy of your trust named Jesus who loves you so much that he gave his life for you, that will create a different kind of faith. And you will grow and, and you will get stronger in your faith. So don't be fooled any longer. Leave the life of sin that you've been living. Stop using your doubts about God as an excuse. And understand the true heart of God, not to hurt you, not to punish you, but to make your life everything that it can possibly be in Him, through Him, by His love and grace. Live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave Himself for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your faith uh, that you've created in us. We know that it would be hard for us to even come to faith except that you intervened. So you, you came by your Holy Spirit and convicted us and convinced us how we need you. You paved the way for that to even happen through your son Jesus who loves us so much that he gave his life for us. And that love continues even today. Draw us to you. Draw us to greater faith, to stronger faith, as we realize that we can trust you completely with our lives. That you always have our best in mind. That you want what is best for us. Even when we have to go through circumstances that are really difficult here. Even when uh, life is threatened, jobs are threatened, families are threatened, we can trust you because you are faithful. You are loving. We give you praise and thanks today. And I pray for anyone that is here today who has never, never named Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that they would make a decision today. Or they would at least decide that they're going to work on these doubts. They're going to seek the truth because I'm confident they're going to find you. They're going to find a God who loves them like no one's ever loved them before. Bless us all. In Jesus' name, amen. God is